Good evening, Patriots. And it's the end of Wednesday, March 1st, in the year 2023. I was kind of going through Scripture tonight and just really thinking a lot about Christ feeding the masses with just a couple of loaves of bread and fish. And I started to really think a lot about bread. We're going to talk a lot about bread tonight. Before we get going, make sure you're really taking good care of your stocks of supplies and food. This is one era right now that's very critical, and we have to have resilience in the family for the sort of shortages that may be coming. That means you need to have stock stocks in your food that can last for a long time that also can be easily portable in case of displacement or some sort of unexpected event. The best way to do that is to get things that are intended to last for years, like My Patriot Supply, where the food supplies and supplies that they sell can be shelf with shelf life of over 20 years. So I would highly encourage you to check out My Patriot Supply. Patriots, the world is getting more and more dangerous every single day. You can feel it. That's why I definitely recommend stocking up on emergency food. You know you're going to need this food someday, so get it now before it's too late. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and stock up on their popular three-month emergency food kit. When you do, you'll also get $200 worth of rugged survival gear as a free bonus. You'll need this gear when things fall apart, the grid goes down, and any other time you need to fend for yourself. To see what you get, go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your $200 bonus gift comes free with each three-month emergency food kit you order to make sure everybody in your family is fully prepared. Act now and sleep better knowing your family won't suffer when disaster strikes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and enjoy free shipping too. MyPatriotSupply.com. Don't delay. This offer won't last forever. Patriots, as I've always said, personal sovereignty begins with food security. MyPatriotSupply.com. Check it out. My Patriot Supply, good outfit. They've been around a long, um, quite a while, and they've grown immensely to be one of the premier providers of emergency food in the nation. So let's begin with Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of, of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them to here, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Obviously, the story has a lot of profound implications. Much of it is the, the supernatural God and the true power of what can happen in our belief. I think what we don't focus on a lot in this is how it was the disciples that were also being taught something here. They were the ones being given the bread to go feed the masses, and it was through their faith that they were realizing what Jesus was trying to teach them. That this bread continued to, this few pieces of bread continued to create the necessity, and God was providing everything needed to feed the many. Bread's a very spiritual thing. I had a period of my life when I was baking bread at least twice a week. And I delved deep into the culture of bread. In our culture, bread is bread. You go to the store, you choose some loaf of bread, pre-sliced, wrapped in paper or plastic, almost always soft. 
and we take that home for additional for some sort of use. Maybe it's sandwiches. Sometimes it's a side dish on the, on the meal. But bread is just kind of taken for granted. I lived and still do live, but in particular it was a period in my life for about 10 years where I never bought a loaf of bread. And I still try to do that when I have time. But the point of this is that I begin to really delve into the process of bread. I was very fortunate in that I was taught how to make bread by my grandmother. She had had a cafe in Custer, Montana, and she was known for her baking and her pies. And when I came in to the age of being able to make bread, my grandmother's hands were long racked with arthritis, and she was no longer able to knead the bread. It just hurt too much. So the way that I learned to make bread initially was by feel. And so I would go in and she would instruct me in her kitchen how to mix the ingredients. And then she'd tell me what to do with bringing the dough together. And she would always touch it. And then she would have me knead it. And then she'd stop me. And she'd say, okay, Scotty, let me feel this. And she'd feel it and she'd say, no, go a little bit more. And I would knead it until it was just where she wanted it. And she'd say, now feel that. And so I learned how to make bread, not by instructions, but through the sense of feel. And it's a pretty amazing experience because when you're kneading a perfect loaf of bread and you get it to that perfect place, it's got a silky feel under your hands, slight moisture, very, very slight. And it depends on the type of bread. Some breads, like a pizza dough, you're going to want to have relatively sticky. There's oil in that bread, typically olive oil. But when you're getting in with like a sourdough bread, that's going to be a little moister type of bread by virtue of the yeast being so moist. But it's still going to have this slicker feel to it when you finish it. It's going to be very silky feeling under your hand. It's really something very special about bread in the process, it's, it's really almost supernatural when you look at it because you're taking, some, you're taking some flour and you're adding some water and you're adding some sort of activator and a little bit of salt. And this then rises to create, you couldn't eat the flour alone, you can't eat the water, water is, is water. But when you put those ingredients together, you get something that literally rises to be much bigger and become something of substance much greater than ourselves. Sourdough is probably my most desired and, and enjoy and enjoyable type of bread to make. It's the most challenging. And where I started to get into sourdough was simply finances. There was a point in my life when I just didn't have the money to constantly be buying yeasts for the my amount of bread I was making, and I just figured... My logic was yeasts are new because dry-activated yeast is a relatively new cultural in introduction. There had to be a way to do it the old way. And this goes back in my 20s, just so we know. And so I started to explore how bread used to be made. And it wasn't complicated. Everybody had their own yeast starter. All you needed was flour. So I explored and found that making a sourdough starter wasn't so difficult. There's a couple of different ways to make a sourdough starter, but you don't need anything other than what's in the environment around you. And that's, again, one of those amazing things. This is where God's providing for us if we truly understand what it is we're providing. And this gets into a whole discussion as well, which we're going to lead into this a little bit tonight, but it's the concept of what wealth is. When you're having to buy everything, like a sourdough or a yeast starter, and you're buying every little ingredient with it, you're at the mercy of a system. But when we're growing and we're harvesting and we're using what God provides for us, the earth is literally our unlimited bounty. 
One of the ways to make a sourdough starter is to simply take a bit of water and flour, whole wheat, not white, and knead it together to make a soft sponge. And then you simply set that out on a cutting board and you let it sit with a moist cloth on top of it. And about every six to eight hours, you knead it again. And when you start, and you do this about uh, roughly about every eight hours. And then you do that over a process of about three days. And as you go forward, you're going to find that the bread gets a bit of a, this dough gets a bit of a crust on it. And then at about three days, you cut off one third of it. And you take that one third of your sponge and you put it into a water of about 78 to 80 degrees and you mix it in, and around until you dissolve all of that in the water and then you add fresh flour so about a cup of water or so with one third of the dough to make a slurry and then you add about a cup of fresh flour to that and you stir it and you let that sit and that will then become bubbly in the next 24 hours, and then you can pour off about one-third of that, or two-thirds of that you pour off, and then you add, again, another cup or so of 80-degree liquid, and you add another cup of fresh flour, roughly, and you stir that in, and then you've, now you've started the process of the natural yeasts that are now beginning to percolate and bubble. And that sourdough starter, the most amazing thing about it is it will only improve from that point forward. And it will get better and better and better the longer you have it. I kept a sourdough starter for almost five years. And then when when I moved from that location, it wasn't possible to carry it forward. Another method for doing sourdough is to start instead with just water. And the exacting, I'm just going to leave it to you to look up the exact measurements. But essentially, you can start, many people start with rye flour, which is fine. And you would put rye flour in with some water and warm water and stir that in in a slurry and then let that sit for 24 hours. And then you pour off the same two-thirds, pour off two-thirds, add more flour, this time a mix, a 50-50 mix of rye and white flour and 80-degree water. You stir that in and you keep doing that for three days, for about seven days. And then at the end of the seventh day, your feeding cycle is now set up and you just feed that. You feed that starter almost every day. Stir it, pour it off, and use it or, and revitalize it. But it's, in, it's that the whole process of making bread is really the magic of it all. Because in the West, when we say bread, we just you just think of a loaf. Like I said, you go down to Costco, you go down to... Kroger, you go down to whatever your local store is, Winco, and you're just going to buy something, or you're going to go to their bakery and you're going to buy something. We don't have the specialty culture around bread, but other cultures do. Most notorious probably is France. When you say le pain, referring to a loaf of bread or un baguette, there is something very special and very significant about those words. France has more than one word for bread. You have pain de compagne, which is a bread of country, a country bread. You have un baguette, which is a very narrow, long uh, loaf of bread, very crispy outside, very airy inside. But it's not just bread. And so there is a deep appreciation for that. And some of that comes from a very impoverished culture in France from years ago where, that has stayed on to be a cultural norm where bread has become central to everything in all their meals. You, if you're in a real French home, you're never going to be at a meal that there will not be bread. Breakfast in France is typically bread with jam, Often a popular one in France is fig jam and butter dipped in your bowl of coffee, which is a cafe au lait, but not like the cafe au lait that you get from 
Starbucks. It's a bowl with a strong coffee poured most of the way up and then some milk and usually a bit of sugar. And then that's what you dip your bread in and that's your morning breakfast. And that's for youth as well. And where you get your bread is as, is as important as where you get, like what type of wine you drink. It's not about cost. It's about the flavors that you like. There was a period of time in France in the late 80s where the idea of the boulangerie, which was the bread bakers, was considered to be going extinct because of the mass manufacturing of French bread. But the people made a choice, and it was a people's revolution that said no more. And so middle-aged and younger people started to revitalize the baking legacy, and bakers started to start up again. And now you find getting wood-fired bread, for example, cooked in traditional way is common in France when it was almost extinct in the early, late 80s, early 90s. Another culture where bread's predominant is Middle East. In Afghanistan, they do a different type of bread. They do a flatbread known as, you would know as naan, but it's different in Afghanistan. Naan tends to be very, very flat, more like Indian, more like a, a thick tortilla. But the Afghan naan is cooked in the most amazing way. I've, I have footage of it, which hopefully on my second film, which I don't know if I'm going to get it done this year or not, but it will, it will have pictures of this. It's an amazing experience to watch the guys cook. So the bread is fl- relatively flat. It's rolled out relatively long. It's about 18 to 24 inches long. Different places. There's different types of bread. But just to show you this real quickly on this, in Afghanistan, the bread is very distinct by region, as it is in other cultures. Like in France, at least it used to be. You could tell the, fr- the bread that came from Toulouse, there'd be a particular style, or the breads that came from Paris, there's a particular style. They're, these are regional. So Toulouse would be in the southwest, like Lyon would be in the east. Um, and the breads from, from Paris had another different feel. So you would tend to know the types of breads, and though they're, you would typically say that's French bread or a baguette or, or a country bread, a pan de campagne, they were very distinct by region, by what you got. And it, it was like the breads from the Pyrenees and the, the Pan de Campagne, which is on the borders of Spain. It's, it's an amazing bread. It's a whole wheat bread. It has an amazingly thick crust. It's sourdough at its core. There, It's amazing. And that's a particular area to get that. Afghanistan is the same way. And it's a lot of it's what's defined in Afghanistan is by the braid on the bread. So to show you how specific this is, if you remember when Bergdahl, was kidnapped. I was working that project to help get him back. And in the process of working with Afghan intelligence officers, they were able to identify exactly where he was being held, not by the video, but by the pictures in the video of the bread, the physical bread that he was holding. They were able to narrow it down to a particular village because of the weave that was on the bread. It's pretty amazing. So bread tends to be a very big part of the culture, which we don't currently have. We, other cultures value it. So in, in, in Afghanistan, bread is cooked in an underground oven, but the ovens are like a big uh, vase. If you can imagine a Greek vase, which would have a narrower top. It's an amphor style. So it has a narrower top and it widens out in the middle and then it gets narrow at the bottom. And these bread ovens can be six, eight, even 10 feet high. And they're all made of clay. They're fired in these massive ovens and then they're buried underground. And then they start the fire at the bottom of these ovens. and The fire gets very, very hot in the entire clay surface inside this underground oven with a hole at the top. And say the hole is, say, three, roughly three feet wide. And they, they roll the bread out, and it's a sticky bread. 
and they they take the bread with their hand and they reach inside or they'd use a hook, but they throw the bread onto the side of the oven and it sticks inside the oven. So if you look down inside the oven, you'll see a hot burning fire at the base and the bread will be stuck all around the edges inside on the actual oven. And then they'll either reach in with their hands or depending on the size of the oven, they'll have a long metal rod with a little hook on it. And when it's done, they'll simply pull the bread out and they'll just start flipping it out of the oven and laying it out on the on a rug. It's kind of a mat where it will cool. And then it's available to eat. And it's amazing bread. Very little yeast in that bread. But the heat tends to be the spark of the leavening in the bread. One of their favorite breakfasts in Afghanistan is fresh naan, Afghan bread. And there's a sweet cream, thick like butter, like soft butter, that they get, that they love if they can get it. It comes from Switzerland. And they put that on there with fresh local honey. Typically, it's a very clear honey like an alfalfa honey. And so you get a hot bread with this sweet cream and a bit of honey and then they drink green green tea or green chai it will be their breakfast all of these experiences though have something in common that's unspoken in all of this and it's the communal aspect of sitting and physically breaking bread it's something that we've we tend to be so individualist individualistic in our culture and we tend to miss a lot about the importance of sitting and breaking bread when you sit and you break bread there's a there's a whole experience that goes with it and i think everybody's experienced that but it's not a one off thing it's not an occasional thing it's not a picnic it's life There wasn't a meal that I had in Afghanistan that there wasn't naan. There wasn't a meal I had in France that there wasn't a baguette or a pain de campagne. And it's not like sliced bread at the table. There's literally, depending on where you are, say in France, you might just reach over and break off a piece of of the baguette. And there's a whole experience that goes with that because the baguette is the crust the crust is very crispy and it's almost flaky and it's so soft on the inside it's brilliantly cooked and baked and so you you break off a piece or cut off a piece of the baguette and then you cut that baguette and you're you're you have the flakes of the bread all over the table which is just common and then you're buttering that up and doing and eating either your soup with it or you're going to eat your breakfast with it. The breakfasts are probably some of the most, some of the coolest memories. And just sitting there and having a conversation because every, there's so much that goes on in that world, in that space. You're talking about things. You're enjoying the meal, but you're talking and you're communicating. And the bread is the bridge to so much of that. Understanding how to appreciate bread is as important in French culture as it is to how to appreciate a glass of wine. And in Afghanistan, as since I've spent most time there and in France, as two examples, I mean, knowing how to knowing where your the type of bread you like is important because people will find a particular baker that they like. But it's important, it's interesting to note how these cultures, old cultures, have retained the relationship with the baker and how important that is to the stability of tradition within the modern culture. I personally think that at the core of much of the challenges that we have today, and I've, I've talked about this part before, I think that getting us back to baking bread is a central piece to literally building bridges. We have our different styles of bread, I, however that is, but as we start to bake and take that power back into us, there's a relationship that we build with the creation of something like bread. 
If you ask Duncan and Kilted Christian about his experience and how he learned to bake bread, the person that taught him to bake bread would knead the bread and then pray over it before it rose, before it was set to rise, which I think is awesome. But it's a very spiritual sense of bread in, in, in what bread represents. And then it's the entire process then. Once you've created that, we'll just say, we'll go back to the sourdough. Because that was really the only type of bread you had, right? If you, Because there was no such thing as a yeast, a dried yeast. That's modern. So if you take, they take this stories of those traveling out west, saving and protecting the starter was as important as anything because that was the foundation for the bread that they made. So there was a lot of effort made to, to preserving the starters as they moved across country from St. Louis into the West. If you, it's on a kind of a side note here, if you've heard of the beer Anchor Steam, which is a San Francisco-based, it's not really a microbrew, it used to be a microbrew, it's more of a mainstream now, and not as popular as it used to be. But Anchor Steam came from a process of using a natural yeast that they did the beer in particular vats and it would bubble over. As I recall, they were slate um, vats, and it would bubble over like overflowing of a yeast that was too much, and then that's where it got its name, steam. It's a completely different story, but nonetheless, natural yeasts. So when we look at the relationship to bread and early culture, it was a foundation to everything we had. And in a day when we are racing around and building our gardens and trying to get back to basics. One of the most fundamental things to get back to is once again, baking bread. So for that 10-year period, I was doing sourdough bread twice a week and became very proficient and very uh, learned in the art of baking bread. And I took a lot of time to study it, to get better at it and to take what my grandmother gave me and to go to another level. And then more importantly, to refine the bread so it became my style and an extension of what I liked. And every meal that we had, we had bread, fresh bread. And again, it's a, there's just this whole cultural issue when you're in that space. And I'll just, and one of those, it stands out every single time that you sit and you eat bread with somebody and you break bread is there's always the bread crumbs. I don't care if it's sitting with a softer naan in, in Afghanistan or whether it's sitting in France breaking a baguette that is extremely crusty or flaky or if it's here in the experiences I've had for 10 years where every meal we'd be, you'd have to have a tablecloth because that's, you pulled all the scraps together, the bread crumbs together and you either put them in the compost or you take them outside and feed it to the birds. But with bread, there's no way to avoid a communal conversation. When you're going to break a piece of bread, like a baguette, and it's a communal baguette, you're touching it like everybody else is touching it. So for those COVID crazies, that's probably an unstable moment. But see, there again is a reflection of where we are today. If you think about the story here in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, the disciples are moving through the crowd and they're breaking the bread and they're feeding them. There's no one that thinks twice about that. And there's 5,000, 5,000 men who ate. They're sharing a moment. They're sharing a special place of building a bridge between you and me. And as we are sitting at the table in a more of an American dining experience, it tends to be very isolated. I don't want to touch anything you have or you don't want to touch anything I have. But when you're sitting in a more traditional culture, that baguette is going to be there and I'm going to take a piece of that and I'm going to hand you that baguette. There's a, one of the coolest places I ate when I was in France one year was with, at a traditional, it's, it's a rural working class uh, restaurant. It's a fixed meal, prefix, which is fixed price. 
and the same meal for everybody. And it's all the local farmers. And they have these around France. I'm assuming, I haven't been there for a few years, but I'm assuming they still are around. Long tables. Everybody sits together. You don't even know the person you're sitting next to. Long tables. And the bread is communal. You're breaking it off. You're next to people you don't know. But it's the whole process of coming together and being in conversation. It's just considered normal. One of my visits to Lyon, France, there was a restaurant in Old Town that I was told suggested that I go try. It was supposed to be excellent food and very, very Lyonnaise in style. So I went there for lunch and asked the maitre d' if he had a space, if I could get a table. And he said, he's sorry, they're booked up. They were apparently booked up for weeks ahead. And then he paused and he said, how many? I said, just myself. And I'm speaking in French at the time. He says, just a moment, let me check on something. So he came back. He says, I have a table. The gentleman in the back said he'd be glad to share his table with you if you wouldn't mind. I said, it'd be great. So this is a foreign a person who's a total stranger. One man who had reserved a table for himself invited me to sit at his table in the restaurant. Two strangers, and we broke bread, literally. And we had one of the most engaging conversations of my trip in Lyon, that particular trip. Two strangers talking about our cultures, our countries, and finding that we had so much more in common than we had difference. And at the center of all of that was a baguette, a loaf of bread. I don't know that there's any <clears throat> real moral to this story other than to say that we need to spend a lot more time breaking bread. We need to spend a lot more time learning to share what we have as the disciples did to the many. We need to be doing that more in our communities. Bread is a fascinating thing. It leaves memories of amazing aromas. It entices people to ask and inquire about the process, especially if you make it. It's an experience to make it by putting your hands into something literally needing something, experiencing the growth of something right in, in your very hands. It's a challenge to do good bread. And the more you do, the more accomplished it is. And it's, it's an empowering experience because you're literally taking control of the food in your life. And it's something that everybody wants to partake in, mostly everybody. In this day and age, you've always got the wackos that are like, I'm gluten-free or whatever else, whatever, could care less. But even those that are, might say they're gluten-free or they don't want to eat wheat or whatever, they can't deny the amazing aroma of fresh bread. And bread in itself is just the experience of the whole start, from start to finish, to where you take it out of the oven and you let it cool, and you're going to hear that crust crack, and you're going to feel smell that aroma that floats through the kitchen, and you're going to be eager. It's, it's the sort of eagerness to want to cut that bread open, which is the, you have to do it. And you have to take that hot slice. It's still steamy. You've got to take a big slab of butter and you've got to throw it on there and just let it melt in. And whether it's an English style or a French style or a naan or whatever that style of bread is you're doing, you want to have that moment where you've got the hot, fresh bread and you're going to smear a thick slab of butter on there and just experience that perfection that just came by your hands and by way of God's gift. Some of the most small things like this, the simplest of things, can literally heal and build in one stroke. So much that we can do in our communities. Could you imagine having an outdoor cooking area where the aroma was floating through the the neighborhood. Bread is one of those things that you could hold your door open and kids from the neighborhood will come by. It, you don't even have to worry. There's a point when they will come and start asking, what's going on in here? This smells great because children are unrestrained and they're beautiful in the way they do that. In the house we had in, in 
my 20s when I was doing this, our place became, it was an apartment, but our place became a hub for the entire community. There was always fresh bread. There was always something fresh baking in the house, and people would come over, and we would just hang out. If it was my martial arts buddies, we'd come over. Every Saturday, we would get together, and I would bake bread, and I would have, I'd make some other food, and we'd sit around, and the guy, there was a few guys that were homebrewed in their beer, and we would every Saturday sit around, and just after a hard workout practice, we would just sip on homebrewed beer and drink, eat bread, and have some snacks, but always done at the house. It doesn't, you don't have to have a mansion. And that wasn't even a big apartment. But it's what the experience is of the process. And everybody loved always the smell of bread. They'd be there like, what's going on? Bread is powerful. Bread is blessed. And at the, it's at the very core, really, of who we are. I would encourage everybody, if you haven't made bread recently, make bread. Get back into the practice of making all your bread. Stay away from the machines and the automatic processed bread that is riddled in the shelves of the stores. And even if it's a local baker, maybe, but it's still the process of baking bread is what's freeing. It's connecting and it's inspiring. It's, it awakens the senses. And it's truly spiritual in so many ways and biblical. And if you bake bread and your bread's good, which isn't hard to do, I would be, I'd be willing to say that there's probably not a person in your neighborhood that wouldn't say yes to an offer of fresh bread. Who doesn't want that? And once again, it's the building of bridges. I truly believe that if we got back to eating our meals together, even just once a week, to where communities could come together as in the old, that in the process of that, there would be loaves of bread passed around for people to share, and we would break bread together, most of our problems, most of our differences would go away. That we would be reminded, whether directly or indirectly, by the power of feeding 5,000 with a basket of loaves, that we're all blessed. And if we bless that bread, we're blessing that bread as Christ blessed the bread. And that's an amazing part of us overcoming ourselves and realizing something greater in our lives. And all we're talking about is water, flour, and some sort of natural yeast. Everything that God gives, put together to make something absolutely stunning. That's aroma you could not sense in any one of those products individually. You don't have an aroma in yeast or flour or water that's worth remembering and a little bit of salt. But when you put all that together and you put that and let that rise and stick that in an, in an oven and you let it, let that aroma flow, you're talking something that is not even describable if you lay out those three individual ingredients on the separately, but together, it's truly some of the greatest chemistry you can ever experience. And it changes people and changes them in their heart. We need to break more bread and make a whole lot more bread to break. Let's pray. Father God, we're just blessed this evening as we sit and reflect on one of the most basic and fundamental aspects of life, which is bread. An amazing gift that you've given us where we can literally make with our own hands. Anybody can make with their own hands. And something that transforms and becomes just an overwhelming connection through our senses. The simple gift of bread brings people together. It breaks down walls. It builds bridges. It gives us a moment to pause and reflect on the magic and wonders of this world that we often don't even see or, 
or pay attention to. It gives us a gastronomic experience that's memorable, married with the experience of conversation, fellowship, and the reminders of the fundamental importance of bread, even in the hands of Jesus. So, Father, tonight we just pray that we get back to some basics, to literally focus on the simple things, to make bread, not to try to overwhelm ourselves with the impossible barriers or walls or hills that we seem to not be able to climb, but to begin simply as we heal this land and heal this nation, to begin simply with a bit of flour, a bit of water, and a bit of yeast and a bit of salt, to mix that together, to make something that's greater than ourselves, that itself works miracles in itself, blessed by you as a gift to us all to break bread and to heal. Guide us and protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I'm telling you, patriots, I love baking bread. And it's something that the more you do it, the more incredible it becomes, in my opinion. So I'm challenging everybody to stop buying bread. Go back to making bread. Make it once a week. Make it twice a week. Whatever you need to do. But fit the time in. Experience it. Start with dry active yeast if you have to. Go back to the place of sourdough as soon as you can. Make it a process. As of old, it becomes new. And experience that magic of sharing that with other people. Whether you invite them into your home, whether it's your family at meals, I will guarantee you, no matter what the status of your family is, you bring in fresh bread, that will change the atmosphere. I guarantee you that as grumpy as your neighbor might be, if you have one of those, you offer them fresh bread and hot fresh bread, they'll at least raise an eyebrow. And you want to bring kids together in a neighborhood? Bake bread. Have them come and experience that hot, fresh bread out of the oven with a little bit of butter and local honey. Or maybe it's jam from your, from your fruit trees or someone's fruit trees around. These are the simple things where we start to really rebuild our communities. It's not about politics. And in a certain way, it's not even specifically about faith. They'll find faith, and you can use all of these experiences like this to talk about God, to talk about our love in Jesus, and more importantly, to show them our love in Jesus with each bite. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. To the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my